Chuck Morse every Thursday, 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here at Freeform Radio, 91.5 WMFO Tufts University, Medford, Somerville, Boston. Welcome to the program. You're welcome to join me. Of course, this is live. This is our live annual or weekly event uh, for me and for you, uh, the listeners, the millions of people out there who um, are loyal listeners to WMFO and who have a live program here that you can call in and express yourself. What is on your mind this afternoon? 855-915-9636-855-915-9636. Well, the Trump administration continues to soldier forward. It's an administration. It's a government. It's a president that I, I hope people will embrace, even if we disagree with him in many respects, even if we don't like aspects of his personality, even if we disagree with some of his policies. I think that if we put President Trump in a the proper context, the truthful context, we will cherish his presidency. We will embrace this opportunity in our history, in our lifetime, to advance genuinely progressive ideas. Uh, President Trump is a revolutionary figure. There's really no other way to describe it. This is the first time, really in my lifetime, possibly in, in, um, in the past hundred years, that we've had an opportunity to really shake up some of the rotten, decrepit, corrupt um, ideas that have taken hold in our government and in our establishment. We've forgotten in many ways who we are. Donald Trump reminds us of who we are and who we could be. You know, he reminds us that the individual... In his case, the man can step forward and affect his life and his future by means of government, by self-government. We're self-governing people. We're self-governing individuals, and as such, our government itself ought to reflect that principle. The principle of adhering to self-interest, personally and nationally. The principle of adhering to personal restraint, which accompanies self-interest, because your self-interest and my self-interest has to take into account the interests of others so that it doesn't collide and clash with those interests to the extent that we nobody benefits. That's why we have a government to re- maintain law and order so that we can have individual sovereignty and individual rights and at the same time not not um, impinge on the rights of others to the degree that um, that they've been harmed. Obviously, we impinge on everyone's rights every day. It's called competition. You know, we all want certain things, and you know, we we, we strive to them, and and that means going up in the world and sallying forth and um, engaging. But we don't want to engage in in activities that would, in some way, take unfair or illegal advantage of other people. So we put in a government to maintain law and order. Getting back to Trump. 
he is an unusual figure. He is a revolutionary figure. Um, he stands for self-interest in the sense that he stands for national interest, which is a natural reflection of self-interest as a virtue that is tempered by faith, that's tempered by a belief that there is something bigger than our own material existence. There's a creator of the universe. There is a grand design. There is a um, prime mover. There is uh, providence uh, and, and um, nature and nature's God, as Thomas Jefferson said. And thus, we recognize that our sovereignty on earth is limited. Our lives are limited. We are granted just so much time. It's our jobs as individuals to try to live as long as we can, and as a society to try to foster that in, in, in general. But we're not immutable, we're not, in, you know, we're not omniscient, and we're not uh, eternal. We're, we're flesh and blood. So we have limitations by nature, and thus, you know, we have, we have a strength that matches our self-interest. Getting back to Trump, <laughs> I'm really on a ramble today. I want to talk about two issues. Um, the first is that President Trump yesterday... He, he rolled out his, um, his immigration policy, merit-based immigration reform, he calls it. This is from an article in Breitbart News, which I think is a superb service, by the way. President Donald Trump today joined with two GOP senators to introduce his merit-based immigration reform, which is designed to help millions of Americans hurt by the nation's current cheap labor immigration policies. The RAISE Act, R-A-I-S-E, quote, will reduce poverty, increase wages, and save taxpayers billions and billions of dollars, President Trump told reporters in the Roosevelt Room of the White House. Quote, this legislation demonstrates our compassion for the struggling American families who deserve an immigration system that puts their needs first and that puts America first. The current immigration system, says Trump, quote, has placed substantial pressure on American workers, taxpayers, and community resources. And among those hit the hardest are minority workers competing for jobs against brand new arrivals. It has not been fair to our people, to our citizens, to our workers. This RAISE Act will give Americans a pay raise by reducing immigration. And it will restore the sacred bonds of trust between America and its citizens. I say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do I, hear a, do I have a witness? Hallelujah. Every sovereign nation in history decides who visits and who lives in the national home. That's why we have nations. That is the most fundamental purpose, or one of the most fundamental purposes, of national sovereignty. It is a right for the citizens of said nation to decide who enters the national home who lives in the national home in the same for the same reason that it is the right 
of the individual to decide who enters into their personal home. You have a basic right to decide who goes into your place of residence and who is kept out. That's freedom. It's a basic, fundamental aspect of property, or in the case, you don't have to own the place, you could rent it. You have a right to domicile. You have a right to determine the nature of your own personal space. You don't have to let someone in that you don't want to let in. And you don't have to explain why you're not letting anyone in. You know, one of the reasons we fought the American Revolution was because the British were forcibly quartering troops into people's private homes. The troops would just show up, they would enter, and they would take over the home. And the people living there would have to serve them. And then sometimes they'd be abused. That's in the Constitution. It recognizes in the Bill of Rights that that quartering in someone's home is unlawful. You have a right to your home. And for the same reason, the nation has a right to decide who enters the national home. The nation operates in a sense... In our interests, we elect a, a government to represent us and because it represents our values. And one of the functions of that government is to decide who enters the national home. That is the right thing to do. That is the moral thing to do. You know, that is the natural thing to do. I've said this before, but it's worth reiterating. This is a principle that exists in nature. The animal kingdom understands this. The bird maintains sovereignty over its nest. The beaver maintains sovereignty over its dam. The ant maintains sovereignty over its colony. The bee maintains sovereignty over its hive. You don't enter those places. If you do, you're at war with them, and they'll fight. You want to try sticking your finger into a beehive? <laughs> I mean, you just... Uh, you know, this is a principle of existence. It is part of identifying and defining who you are by, in a sense, determining the nature of your space. It is freedom. The opposite is slavery. That's when you lose the right to decide who enters your home. You know, that's collectivism. That's what communist and Nazi countries do. They get to decide who enters your home. We have a free society because it reflects the best aspects of human nature. So our government has an absolute right and a moral responsibility, frankly, to decide who enters the national home. We don't have to explain that to anyone. No nation does. Every nation has this natural right. This is international law and custom. This is, you know, something understood by nations going all the way back to antiquity. It's not, it's not really something that um, has ever really been questioned until now. Now, are we being cruel and mean to say, you know, we're not going to welcome in, you know, massive numbers of people? Well, according to the Democrats, we would be. Here we hear. This is uh, moving on into the, De the Breitbart article. Democrats, let's see, and their pressure groups are expected to oppose the immigration reform because they wish to increase the inflow of unskilled foreign migrants. Business groups also oppose the measure because it would raise wages and reduce the inflow of new welfare-aided consumers. Now, there's two arguments here. The Democrats 
they want to increase immigration of unskilled labor because they view such immigration as adding to their power. You know, these people are going to vote Democrat. This is their this is their power base. It's not that they care so much about, you know, the welfare of people entering the country. They want to increase Democrat votes. They want to put these people on welfare so they're dependent and they're paid by the taxpayer. And then they get to, uh, you know, bust them to the polls every election and vote for the party that's going to continue their welfare payments. And, and thus you have an expansion of the nanny state. Now, more conservatives, and they're not necessarily conservative politically because a lot of these people are liberals, people in business, they want cheap labor. They want to undermine America, the American labor movement. They want to undermine the American workers who have worked for a century, have worked forever, to try to improve their condition and negotiate uh, to, to gain better wages and better working conditions. You know, the, uh, the big corporate people want to undermine that by bringing in cheap labor and, and thus driving down wages. Is that in the American interest? No. You know, it's, uh, we, we ought to protect labor. Now, a lot of the Democrats are saying, well, I mean, I think there was a reporter at the press conference what about the slogan on the Statue of Liberty, which says, you know, bring us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses? Well, first of all, back then, when, when that was written by Emma Lazarus, they weren't going on welfare, right? They had, char- they were, they had sponsors when they would arrive in this country, people who would sign a document saying that they would take responsibility for the new arrival for maybe, I think it's three years, and that meant financial responsibility if they couldn't uh, get gainful employment. They did not go on welfare. There was no such thing as welfare. You know, now they immediately are put on welfare. That's paid by you and I, the taxpayer. Is that right? You know, I mean, look, I don't blame people for wanting to come here and jump on welfare. <laughs> I mean, I get that. But is it right to expect the taxpayer to take money out of their pockets so that somebody else can basically not work and just come into this country and not contribute? President Trump is simply saying here that we're going to have an immigration policy by which people are welcomed into the country based upon merit, based upon what they can contribute, based upon whether or not they speak our language, which I think is perfectly reasonable. Um, and based upon whether or not they have embraced a, a culture, a religion, frankly, an ideology that is compatible with our American culture and which is capable of coexisting with our religions and our communities. You know, I like to see, I see a lot of liberals driving around um, Boston and Cambridge with these bumper stickers called Coexist and they have different religious symbols um, making up the, the, the uh, letters to Coexist. Well, I mean, the reality is that there are some religions and I'm not singling anyone out because if I do, I'll probably be taken off the air here. Um, you know, the, uh, 
the anti-bias Gestapo will probably you know remove me. So I won't. I'm not singling out any particular religion, but I would suffice to say that there are certain religions and certain ideological orientations that are not interested in coexisting. You know, if they wanted to coexist, then yeah, fine. But they don't have the capacity to coexist, or they don't have the willingness to coexist, let's say, because their doctrines discourage that. Their doctrines insist upon dominance, that they have to control others, and that those who refuse to um, adhere to their doctrine are second-class citizens, are, don't have equal rights. That's not the American ideal. So we have a right to decide that. Um, we have a right to take a look at the ideology and the religion, quite frankly, of uh, people who want to uh, come here and live in our home and, and ensure and get insurances that their belief systems um, will be compatible with ours and will be compatible with our constitutional way of life. So, you know, we have a right to decide that. We have a right to decide it for our own self-interest because we want to continue to advance our own freedoms. And we have a right to decide it for the national interest. We want people to come here who genuinely are going to be not only loyal to our Constitution, but people who understand our constitutional system well enough that they appreciate that freedom doesn't grow on trees. Freedom is something that has to be developed and it has to be embraced. And that freedom means freedom and respect for all people. Now, President Trump's RAISE Act, which is going to be submitted to Congress, it protects American labor from cheap foreign workers by thus maintaining a standard of living. And it protects the American taxpayer uh, from having to shell out welfare to people who are, who are coming here who are not working. That doesn't make any sense that we should pay for that. You know, I understand welfare. I'm not opposed to it um, for Americans. You know, we in this country, we are one of the, we are the richest society ever. I don't want as an American to see people homeless, you know, or, or starving. You know, whether or not, however it is that it came about that they're in that condition. I don't want that. So I am, I am, I accept the fact that there ought to be some welfare, some social programs. I think that they're best administered locally, not nationally. I think that they're best administered privately, not publicly, uh, with maybe with some state involvement. But putting aside how it's done, I accept the fact that we need to do it, and I'm willing as a taxpayer to pay for that. I understand that a portion of my tax money goes to that. I accept that. I want that. I don't want people, again, to be starving in the streets. But what I don't want is to be scammed. What I don't want is to be defrauded. If I take money out of my pocket, money that I earned from my hard labor, working in many jobs, 
money that would otherwise uh, be invested in my family. You know, I mean, I, I am putting a daughter through college right now. I'm struggling to make the payments for that. I'm actually on a monthly payment plan because I want to make sure that she goes through her college years without incurring a lot of debt or hopefully no debt. And so all of my extra money is devoted to making sure that I do that and my wife as well. We both do it. So if I'm going to pay out money in taxes, which comes out of that and which means I have to work harder in order to maintain those payments so that I can continue to make the payments and pay taxes and live. I want to know that the money that is going to welfare is not, I'm not being ripped off. That the person receiving the money is genuinely needy. They need the money. They're Americans. I don't want them to be on the street. But I would point out that when they get money from me, they're entering into a contract with me. And that contract is that, first of all, they're going to do everything they can to get out of welfare so that they don't have to continue do accepting this money a day longer than necessary because they are in need, but they're going to get out of need. Or if they can't get out of need, if they're disabled or if they're, they're ill, then fine. Even then, there's probably something that maybe they could do to improve their situation. I mean, every human being is capable of, of improvement. I want to know that they are, you know, they're, they're contributing something. They're improving something. There are, there, there's a number of things that could be done. But, but I bring this up because I do want to be sure that I'm not being defrauded, that they genuinely are needy. They're not taking the money because, you know, they're, they're extra. They're, they're not, they're not um, engaging in fraud. And um, I point out that, you know, I also think it's reasonable to expect that they're not addicted to uh, drugs or alcohol. Um, you know, I don't want the money to be going toward supporting their habits, you know, if they, if they have an addiction. I don't want to pay for that. Um, I, I want to know that they are tested and that they're clean, you know. And um, there are programs, not, not these expensive programs where they put them on drugs like methadone, but programs of, of health that can help a person wean themselves off of addictions and get healthy and get productive. It's another subject. We could save billions, believe me, if we take a different approach than the one we're taking. But the point is that regardless of how it comes about, I want to know that they are um, trying to get off addictions at least, if not that they're off addictions before they take my money out of my pocket in the form of welfare. Now, as far as welcoming in immigrants and then putting them on welfare. I don't think there's any justification for that. I understand that they're living in these miserable hellholes around the world. I get that. And I think that as a, as a matter of foreign policy, this country could go a long way toward helping nations get free. Ultimately, it's up to them. 
You know, if they want to have oppressive laws, if they want to be socialistic, if they want to, to do things that hurt their own people, we can only help so much. You know, you can't, um, you, you know, you can't, uh, what is it that um, the New Testament says, Jesus says, in one of his parables, you can give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. You can teach him how to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. We can offer teaching them how to fish, how to develop the infrastructure of freedom, but we can't make them do it. You know, this gets down to national sovereignty. We want sovereignty. We have to respect their sovereignty. And if their sovereignty means hideous social practices uh, against women, you know, against homosexuals, against, uh, you know, non-believers and whatever their official policy is, then it's a tragedy. We can offer a hand of friendship to the people. We can... We can do a lot of things. I think that a good example of that is how Reagan, Ronald Reagan, defeated the evil Soviet empire by simply contrasting their evil, corrupt, oppressive system with our superior system. And, um, you know, just doing things like, uh, you know, broadcasting and opening McDonald's in Moscow and, you know, being putting, putting the best of America up there and, and, and people woke up. They realized... You know, we want this. This is insane that we're we're so oppressed. And they overthrew that rotten regime. There are ways to do it without, you know, interfering in the sovereignty of the nation. I mean, if, if if a country, I suppose, becomes so awful and so oppressive to the people, then in such extreme situations, we may want to interfere uh, just for humanitarian reasons. But... You know, short of that, unfortunately, the world is not a nice place in many areas. And yet we, we can only hope that the people of those nations will change their way of thinking and rise up and, and take, take over their nation and develop freedom. Um, we can only add encouragement. And I actually think that the best way to do that is to be ourselves in our own nation, that, send, that, that, that will shine as a beacon to the rest of the world. And I think that what, what President Trump is doing with the RAISE Act is just that. He is asserting national sovereignty. He's asserting self-interest. He's saying, you know, we're going to watch out for our America first, our American citizens, our American labor our American culture. And he's not going to apologize for that. Those are good things. And by the way, the refugee program, which I think I support, certainly, I think most people do, if a person is going to be killed because they're in a foreign country and they need to get out and they don't have anywhere else to go, this country has been very, very generous in terms of welcoming them in. But that program has been defrauded we have to be careful of who gets refugee status. Let's not forget that the, um, the blind sheikh who blew up the first World Trade Center was here as a refugee. The Sanayef brothers who bombed the Boston Marathon, killing three people and injuring very grievously about 260 others, they were here on refugee status. So that system can be and has been abused. 
we have to be very careful to to forensically vet people who are seeking refugee status to make sure that they are here because they, uh, first of all, that they are genuine refugees, and secondly, that they, they are friends of this country. They have embraced and seek to further embrace our way of life. You know, then, yes, we should grant refugee status. I mean, we granted refugee status to um, many, many hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese boat people back in the 1970s, um, mainly because of the collapse of South Vietnam and because they were our friends and because we had betrayed them, frankly, in my opinion, but that's another subject for another day. And they completely embrace America. They are one of the very best of, of immigrant groups and they've, compl- they've totally assimilated into our American way of life, which is something that we ought to, respect, ought to expect from new immigrants, frankly. Um, you know, we have freedom of religion here. We have freedom of culture. We have freedom of everything. And that's good. But there are some basic common denominators in terms of placing the interest of the new country first and trying to, at least to a certain extent, accommodate um, American culture. I think it's very doable while maintaining one's native beliefs. I mean, I'll just give you one example. In my neighborhood where I live, there are several families who are ultra-Orthodox Jews. And when I say Orthodox, I mean people who wear Orthodox garb. I mean, they wear black clothes and they wear white shirts and black hats and the women are covered you know, pretty, pretty thoroughly and the married women wear wigs. And, uh, you know, they are clearly maintaining a culture and in, in many aspects that is not the, uh, the predominant culture in America. And yet, they are as American as apple pie when it comes to, uh, you know, support of not only our politics and our political system and their interest in not in any way imposing their own Jewish law on on others, only on themselves and voluntarily, but they also have embraced American culture at the same time. You know, they love baseball. They love hip-hop. You know, they love American idioms of um, of music and the arts and, uh, and, and every other thing. So they're as American as anyone else. I bring this up only because it's certainly possible and, in fact, quite desirable for people of any culture in the world to assimilate into American culture and be loyal to American constitutional precepts, but at the same time maintain elements of their own culture that don't contradict either the American constitutional approach or the American rule of law. Okay, let me go to a couple of public service announcements here. Let's see. Go green with rechargeable batteries. That's a good idea. I should get this. If you want to save yourself money and help the environment at the same time, consider using rechargeable batteries in your frequently used devices that accept them. Today's NIMH batteries 
last about as long as alkaline cells under high use, and they can be recharged hundreds of times before needing to be recycled. Packs of rechargeable AA and AAA batteries, plus a charger, don't cost very much to begin with, any more than it, and isn't more convenient to recharge your batteries than to go to the store and buy new ones anyway? This is a message from all your green friends right here at WMFO in Medford, Tufts Educational Radio. Numbers to think about. Prescription drug versus medical marijuana deaths. Numbers of Americans that die each day from an accidental overdose of prescription drugs, 54. Number of human beings that have died from an overdose of medical marijuana in all of recorded history, zero. This is a message in the public interest from WMFO in Medford, Tufts Educational Radio. Um, You know, I have a right to comment on this, and I do not endorse that particular ad. I think it's very misleading because, uh, you know, my my evidence here is, I acknowledge is anecdotal, but I've known enough people who have had serious drug addictions um, over the years. I've known, I've known people going all the way back. And in every case, and I talk to people, you know, I'm a radio guy, I like to interview. In every case, they have said that marijuana was a gateway drug. Now, I can't prove that it is in every case, but I will point out that people who might have a, a, a tendency or, or a, a proclivity toward addictions... You know, marijuana affects them in a way that's different than it might affect someone who doesn't have such proclivities. So, you know, I mean, you know, you could say that um, people have overdosed on on prescription drugs or on illicit street drugs. But in many cases, marijuana played a role there. So that doesn't mean that it's a good idea to to introduce too much medical marijuana. Now, I'm not completely opposed to medical marijuana as a way to uh, manage pain. Uh, You know, if someone's in pain because they're undergoing cancer treatments, um, you know, marijuana apparently is a very good way to to cope with the pain, and I I support that. I mean, you know, we want to have um, means to, to manage pain. I've known people who have been in pain. I mean, we all know what pain is. So, you know, there are uses, perhaps of medical marijuana. I'm not sure that there aren't other ways to do it. I don't know if marijuana is necessary. I wonder if it's just an excuse to introduce marijuana into society, which I think is not such a good idea. But at the same time, I respect the fact that that people, people seem to want medical marijuana as a way to alleviate pain. Anyway, um, you're welcome to join the final segment here. Chuck Morse Every Thursday, 10 to 11 a.m., 855-915-9636. Last week I had a call and I just didn't know how to quite take it, but I will this time. I've studied it. I'm kind of ham-handed when it comes to technical matters, and I am managing the board here alone. So uh, give me a break. Call up. You're welcome to join me. Anything on your mind, come on down. 855-915-9636. 855-915-9636. So we're talking about the RAISE Act, 
which President Trump rolled out yesterday, and that's going to, for the first time, I think since the 1920s, seriously regulate immigration into the United States, something that I entirely support. I think that we ought to regulate immigration in a way that um, accentuates the interests of American labor, American language, and American culture. I don't think we need to uh, explain that to anyone. We don't need a reason one way or the other. We can regulate immigration for any reason we want. I also do not think that we need to welcome into this country people who have embraced ideologies and religions that are not compatible with our American constitutional system or our American way of life um, and are not able to or not willing to coexist with our own American predominant religions and uh, cultures uh, and subcultures. So, uh, you know, that those are those are things that we have a right to do as a nation. We have a right to screen people and find out what their intentions are. You know, we have a right to ask them if they've embraced certain ideologies that are contradictory to ours before we welcome them in. I'm not going to mention which those are because, as I've said, I'll get kicked off the air if I do. I'll leave it up to your imagination. Back in the 1940s, back in the 1930s, we would ask people whether or not they had ever been a member of the Communist Party or whether they'd been a member of the Nazi Party before welcoming them into this country. And if they were, we did not welcome them in for good reason. Those particular ideologies are not compatible with our American way of life. You know, they do not have our interests at heart. You know, it would be like welcoming in uh, someone into your private home who was planning to rip you off or rape your wife. No, you don't have to. You, have, you can say, I'm, you know, you're not welcome into my home. We have laws that stop that. If somebody forcibly enters your home, they could be arrested. It's called breaking and entering. It's called, <laughs> you know, assault and battery. It's, it's called a lot of things. Our nation has those same rights. That is what a sovereign nation does. Any sovereign, sane sovereign nation that's worth the right to be sovereign does this. And sovereignty is a, is a progressive idea. It's an idea we ought to embrace and preserve and understand. And I think that if we do come to understand it, we will understand not necessarily President Donald Trump as a person, but we'll understand the movement that voted for and put President Trump in the place he's in. And that movement is one that is based upon such common sense ideas. It is a real movement. It's a movement I'm a part of, and I hope to ask you, the listener here at Tufts, to take a look at, to think about. You know, don't believe all this garbage you hear in the legacy media where every day it's, they're just throthing at the mouth in hatred for Trump. They are either lying or they are just making these huge, you know, I mean, God, I mean, I'm listening to MSNBC. I've been doing some driving recently. And, I mean, they, they spent a whole day 
talking about whether or not President Trump had had a conversation with his son in advance of his son's statement about this stupid meeting he had with the Russians. As a, I mean, this is, I mean, of course he had a conversation with him. It's his son. I mean, you know, oh, did he dictate this? No, he didn't dictate it. But he, uh, he gave his opinion about it. And even if he did dictate it, so what? I mean, this is all of a sudden, uh, I mean, like Rachel Maddow and, um, oh, I mean, this is, he has to be impeached for this. I mean, they talk about his term as, as being shortened, euphemism for his being impeached. And they go on, and then there's this dweeb that comes on. Uh, I forget his name. He has glasses. I mean, what's his name? Um, it's just this twerp. I'm sorry. And he's breathlessly going on for hours about the latest scandal. And they're making this thing into such a mountain. It's just sickening. Now, look, I understand and I believe that we ought to criticize President Trump is a person and his policies. That's what the media is supposed to do. That's what we as American citizens are supposed to do. And by the way, conservatives are used to doing that. They don't goose step along like people did for Obama. You know, we we, we should do that. But, you know, you do it in a way that's responsible and in context. You know, you take a look at you, you be honest. You talk about why you disagree with something. You don't... The, the, the stuff they're doing right now, it borders on sedition, frankly. They're tearing the country down. I mean, this, this resolution to boycott Russia, is that helpful to our nation right now? Do we need to alienate and antagonize Russia just to spite Trump so they can keep alive this cockamamie left-wing conspiracy theory? that Trump colluded with Russia. So therefore, they're going to boycott this, you know, the, the Russians, one of the nation's most powerful nation in the you know, one of the world's most powerful nations. You know, we're trying to work with Russia right now to crush ISIS in Syria. There are other things that we could be working with the Russians. That doesn't mean we should be friends with them. You know, Russia is a country that we should hold at arm's length. But, you know, to antagonize them? It's insane. You know, North Korea just fired another missile into the Sea of Japan, one that they say within even a year from now could be fitted with a nuclear warhead. We don't have time to be, you know, to, to be going after Trump and, and passing resolutions to try to hurt Trump just out of, you know, the spite. Well, I'm going to get into what I think it's about, but Let's just, I just want to finish this piece. Um, you know, he has to sign this thing now, and, and now Congress, Trump put out a brilliant tweet, by the way, on this this morning. He said, look, here we have a Congress that is making me sign a, a bill that is damaging to American interests in the world, and they can't even pass a resolution to rescind this crappy health care system. That's costing working people, you know, five, six, eight thousand dollars a year, so they can get a lousy flu shot, and they tell them, "Oh, you have health care." Nonsense! You don't have health care if you have to pay that much money. That's it's a fraud. It's a payoff to the big fat, you know, left wing 
insurance companies and their special interests and lobbyists who put more mandates on us so that we have to pay for everything from, you know, boob jobs to sex changes to, you know, you name it. Because they have lobbyists getting those things passed that mandated. Get rid of this lousy system, but they can't do that. We can't go back to freedom and choice where the costs will be lowered. And now they're passing this? This is really great. Anyway, they are so utterly vicious in, in, in this attack. And then you have this guy on MSNBC, O'Donnell, I think his name is. He comes on after Rachel. I've heard him several times. I've heard enough of him over time to a sampling, more than a sampling, to get a, a handle on what he's trying to do. He basically starts his show every time by trying to say that President Trump is insane, that he's mentally incapacitated, right? In other words, he's trying to psychoanalyze Trump. Uh, what was the last time Obama was psychoanalyzed, right? What was the last time, you know, Hillary Clinton was psychoanalyzed? Not recently, not ever. But we have to hear the psychoanalysis because Trump lies? Really? Oh, I see. You know, yeah, I mean, I'll, look, I'll acknowledge, and I think it's, it's not good that Trump might have a tendency to lie or exaggerate on things like, you know, for his own ego. And I don't like that about Trump. You know, he talks about, well, I had bigger crowds at my inauguration. I mean, you know, not so, right? But those are the kinds of lies that, frankly, even though they're bad and he should be called out on it, they're harmless. Who cares how many, you know, whether or not it was 100,000 or, or half a million? You know, it's not going to affect anyone's life. Those are exaggerations. Those are the kind of lies that, that many people will tell at the, at the Thanksgiving table. Oh, yes, I, got, I caught a fish you know, that was uh, 30 pounds or, you know, I mean, right. I mean, they, they, these tall tales to inflate your own ego. And, and sometimes when people tell these things, they come to believe it. I mean, I mean, an example comes to mind, Hillary Clinton talking about being under fire at the Sarajevo airport. It's not true, but, I mean, that's an outright lie. But the point is, it's not, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's just, it's harmless. It shows bad character. In that case, worse than anything Trump might have said. Um, but, but it's not like, oh, Al Gore, I invented the internet. I mean, no, really? I mean, come on. But, I mean, the kind of lies that Obama told, on the other hand, you, if you like your doctor, you could keep your doctor. If you like your health care plan, you could keep your health care plan. Uh, insurance premiums are going to drop. I mean, those were the kinds of lies that hurt people because he was able to pass this decrepit law that now costs people upwards of $10,000 before they can get a, a flu shot. Those were lies. You can't keep your doctor. You know, you can't keep your policy. I mean, and Obama knew they were lies, but he went around the country repeating it over and over again so he could pass his health care plan. He, he, you know, the left, of course, I think, understood that these were lies, but they winked. Oh, that's okay. You know, we see the bigger picture. It's okay to lie now because, by the way, they don't care about lying anyways. But putting that aside, it's okay to lie because we 
we want to get to the bigger solution, which is single-payer system, which is to say the government pays for everything, and the government decides what you get. You have no choice. You know, it's all controlled. I mean, look, Obama and his people expected Obamacare to implode, and they expected to replace it with single-payer health care. That's something that's been acknowledged by many people on the inside of this plan. I think including Ezekiel, um, uh, and what's his name, um, Ezekiel Emanuel, Rahm Emanuel's brother, who's one of the architects of Obamacare, and also that guy, that, that one, the one from MIT, who was paid many millions of dollars and who basically admitted and, in fact, boasted that the American people are too stupid to understand Obamacare. And then, of course, they had to lie in order to get it passed. Gruber, Jonathan Gruber. Those are the big lies. Why don't we hear, um, you know, a psychoanalysis of that? So basically, they're trying to smear Trump by saying that he's mentally incapacitated because he talks to his son and he didn't tell everybody about it. Nobody's damn business anyways. Anyway, so what's really going on with all this? Why are they throthing at the mouth? Well, it gets back to what I started the program with. And that is that it is because Donald J. Trump is a revolutionary figure. He is shaking up the whole rotten edifice that has built up over the past probably century. And that includes these left-wing mouthpieces in the media who are like constantly, every day, dripping with hate and, and throthing at the mouth. They don't give a damn about the policy of this country. They'll do anything. They don't care if we have a nuclear bomb as long as it stops, hurts Trump. Any day that's bad for this country, they like because they think it's bad for Trump. Why is that? Because, again, a revolutionary figure that is shaking up this whole rotten establishment. And yet, President Trump has had to make compromises. And that's not good. He has people around him who are um, insider types, establishment types. Frankly, people like uh, McMaster, the, um, the, the National Security Council head. Um, and this new FBI guy strikes me as being somewhat of a, an insider, this uh, Jonathan Ray. And, um, I, you know, I, we can only hope that the president is not too compromised by these people, but I still hold up hope when I see the um, things like this new immigration reform put in. Those are good things. But I'm not that hopeful about really weeding out the rot and the corruption in the, in the short term. I think if we can understand, again, the nature of this revolution that put Trump in office then we can do it in the long term. We could do it incrementally. We have to take a Fabian view. They are Fabians in terms of implementing collectivism and socialism and world order, and they've been working at it a little bit at a time, going all the way back to the early part of the 20th century. We have to be counter-Fabians. 
We have to view, understand that President Trump is only doing what he can in an extremely hostile atmosphere. And we have to recognize and, and, and embrace whatever victories we can embrace on the surface, but try to win in the long run by winning the ideological war, by calling them out and identifying them for who they are and for what they stand for. And I think this case of the immigration reform is a good opportunity to do that because this is basic common sense immigration policy. And if they're going to start screaming about it, we're going to have to finally put them under the, on the dock and say, really? Why? Do you think it's good to have people come into this country and go on welfare? Yes or no? Do you think it's good to have people coming into this country who don't accept our constitutional way of life? Yes or no? You see what I mean? It's a chance to call it out. Now, we're reaching toward the end of the program, so I want to bring up one more issue. And this is one that I don't think anything is going to come of this, unfortunately. And I think this is under, behind why President Trump wants to get rid of Jeff Sessions as Attorney General, um, or at least move him to another office, because Jeff Sessions and the Attorney General's office are not doing anything to investigate what I see as a shadow government um, run by probably or possibly people like former President Barack Obama, the Clintons, um, the, uh, the left-wing establishment who have not accepted President Trump's victory. They are still here, and they are rotten. They are corrupt. They are undermining this, this administration, which was elected. You know, I've heard Mark Levin refer to this accurately as a silent coup. It is a silent coup. It's not a bloody coup in that they're going in, although they certainly are moving in that direction. But they are undermining the government by stealthy means. Um, I'll give you a few examples. President Trump has had a very hard time confirming mid-level staffers. There are hundreds of people. He's already six months into the administration, and he still has not been able to confirm hundreds of people he's appointed to uh, mid-level staff positions in various departments, including the State Department. In fact, Rex Tillerson had a meltdown over this. He can't get enough staff. It's not because of President Trump. President Trump has appointed these people. They can't get confirmed by Congress because Congress is dragging its feet. The second example is that evidence is emerging that Barack Obama, when he was in office, was a major control freak, a busybody at best, that was eavesdropping on his opponents, both domestically and around the world. He was using the apparatus. He couldn't help himself, probably. He was using the apparatus of the, of the NSA and of other agencies to spy on people. Let's just call it what it is. This should be seen as one of the biggest scandals in American history. And uh, apparently his cabinet members, uh, particularly, uh, apparently, um, uh, Susan Powers from, um, from the um, 
who is the UN ambassador, and who, by the way, I think is a Tufts University professor before that, if I'm not mistaken, that she had made requests for hundreds, many hundreds of unmaskings of, uh, of people, exposing them. Um, this is unprecedented. They were people that were in the Trump campaign. They were people that were opponents of the Barack Obama government. Um, I have an article here in the, in the, back to the um, Breitbart News. Ben Rhodes emerging as a person of interest in House Intelligence Committee unmasking probe. Former Obama White House National Security Advisor Ben Rhodes is emerging as a person of interest in the House Intelligence Committee's unmasking investigation, according to a letter obtained by Circa. The letter sent from the House Intelligence Committee to the National Security Agency, NSA, on Tuesday requests a number of unmaskings made by Rhodes between January 1st, 2016 and January 20th, 2017, congressional sources told Circa. The committee is requesting that the NSA deliver the information on Rhodes by August 31st. Unmasking refers to the practice of having the identity of an American caught up in surveillance of a foreign target revealed. Their names are hidden or masked because U.S. intelligence agencies are prohibited from spying on Americans. The intelligence consumer, however, can request that an American name be unmasked or revealed through a formal process. House Intelligence Committee Chairman David Nunes recently said in a letter to the Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coats, that Obama aides made hundreds of requests in their final year in office. I mean, this to me looks like Obama was tampering with the election. Um, this is why, by the way, Obama didn't do diddly squat when it came to the Russian spying to the extent that they were spying because he thought that they Russians, first of all, he thought that Hillary would win and the whole thing would just go away. But possibly, and again, this is speculation, he assumed that the Russians were helping Hillary and they probably were. Anyway, we're reaching the end of the program. There's The Obama people are still in the White House. They're still in the government. They're still leaking. And they're still sabotaging this administration. It's one of the reasons that they're not getting anything. They're not moving forward as fast as that they should be. And also you've got traitors in the Republican Party who, who are stopping and stymieing this administration in every way they can. It's all because, frankly, again, to end the show... Donald Trump is a revolutionary figure, and that means that liberal Republicans, as much as Democrats and certainly internationalists, are all being called for who they are, they're being identified, they're being unmasked, and their power and their ideology is clearly being threatened. So the only thing we can do as citizens is just take another look at, at the Trump administration and try to embrace it because this is an opportunity in our history to reestablish our, the equilibrium of our government and our rights as individuals to move our society and thus our own lives in the direction of freedom. Anyway, I want to thank you all for listening this afternoon. Chuck Morse, I shall return, God willing, next Stop it.
Thursday at this time. Thanks so much, everybody. <laughs>